Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. <laughs> Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here and checking out the series. Uh, Please hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week. I do a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists and discover some new ones as well. All the usual spots, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, WFPK.org, or YouTube for the video version. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Soccer Mommy, once again talking with Sophie Allison, this time about her latest record called Sometimes Forever. We're going to discuss having a sound that has uh, one foot in the past and one in the present, uh, referencing the Smiths in the way she wanted to record the record, and also choosing to write more uh, biographical rather than uh, character-based. Sophie's also going to tell us about incorporating her love of horror into the music, especially on Following Eyes as a, a spooky ghost story, and writing a song in the vein of PJ Harvey's Rhythmy for the uh, Turning soundtrack. But let's do it. Discussing the album Sometimes Forever, it's Kyle Meredith with Soccer Mommy. Hey. Uh, congratulations. You've once again, I, you know, I, I've been able to talk to you on the past two records too, and every single time I get nervous that I overcompliment you because I'm such a big fan. <laughs> Aww, thank you. <laughs> but this new album, Sometimes Forever, is so good. Again, uh, like it's a mood you've got here. And it's different because what you've done here, you know, it's got sounds that definitely touch on the past, but it's not stuck in the past. It's not a retro record. It, mm-hmm. That's not a easy trick to pull off. Like what were the conversations going into this album? Like how did you arrive at the sound that you did? I think part of that is that, you know, I don't, I've never set out to just like, be like, I want to replicate something from the past specifically. I think all of the influence for this album and every album before is, it comes from a lot of places, you know, like, I mean, there's definitely when, when me and Dan, the producer, were talking about the production for the album, that's kind of where all of the, you know, any sense of inspiration comes from me from other people I think when I'm writing it's very just kind of doing whatever comes to my head and there's no 
you know, specific direction I'm trying to go. Um, but with the production, me and Dan talked a lot about like wanting to basically kind of get these like really solid live band takes um, and just get like a really, really good sounding room, like not put it in this situation where we're wanting to like take these uh, band takes and make the song like just with all that and kind of have it, you know, stuff that we can tweak a lot with that. We, we really wanted to get those takes and then build all of this, you know, these synths, these production elements, these like, you know, different interesting sounds, different lines on top of this, this song that even just the live take sounds great. And, you know, you're just adding all this like extra stuff on top that will give it more life, but you, you don't need to mess with that core at all. And we were talking, we talked a lot about a lot of like, 80s bands that had a lot of music that really just had that feeling like even like someone like the Smiths like when you listen to the Smiths it sounds like a band playing and for me the the band that is is playing with me right now we've gotten so tight and we play off each other a lot live it's not that um calculated all the time and I just really wanted to like capture that and get that sound because I feel like there's not a lot of that going on right now. Just trying to get like a really live sounding um, record. I mean, obviously we did other stuff on top of it. It's not just four people playing, but, um, but yeah, I wanted to get that, that life in there. I think one of the things that caught me off guard that I didn't expect is to, to be such a percussive record too. Like mm -hmm. I pay attention to your guitar lines a lot of the time, but, but like, there are certain parts of it I was thinking, I mean, the definitely the the 80s influences there, but I also heard like the Eels and and PJ Harvey, especially the Nick Cave mm -hmm. era PJ Harvey with that kind of percussion. Like uh, it's unholy affliction, I think is a great example mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. Like, was that also a part of it? Because the those those drums or whatever percussive instruments use and really does stand out on this and carries these songs in a different way than usual. Yeah, that entire song I mean there's a couple moments where there's like effects on on some stuff but that's like just live drums um and it was I mean it was honestly so cool watching Roland do it because we had this you know version of the song that is way more straightforward kind of like how the second verse is um that we had practiced a little bit and we came in to record it that day and Dan had made this like synthy line that had like bass and like a little bit of like a beat in it which is what the song ended up being most of the time and he just used the demo vocals and everything those are actually the demo vocals on the on the entire song um and yeah it was it sounded really cool we were like okay let's go in and just record the song anyway and then we can like use these things where we want and we ended up just wanting to mostly use that and Rollum, uh the drummer he went in and just like played along to that synth part just like doing this really <laughs> crazy beat because the beat is um very like specific in it and did like two or three takes and we just like like got to use like all of that basically <laughs> for like the whole song but it was really awesome it was really fun what a cool feeling I, that's one of those i'm really looking forward to hearing live too because yeah kind of feeling how that that comes like it, it doesn't sound like it but this sounds like a different record than what you've done so far, but it doesn't sound like you necessarily had to change the way you write a song at the beginning. Like everything happened afterwards, is it, or, or did you? 
Oh, no, not at all. I mean, for me, it's it was exactly the same. I think I had some inspirations that were a bit different, maybe, when writing, just because partially, partially it was being home and being able to go back to kind of like when I'm making demos, um, you know, messing around with stuff a lot. So I like demoed all these songs and for a lot of them, I was having fun just doing weird things on the computer with it, um, which definitely like pushed towards the the direction of how the song was going to be pr- produced in the end. But the songwriting process was exactly the same. You know, it's just me sitting around playing guitar, finding a guitar riff I like and then singing over it and it's done. <laughs> Well, of course, you get into the lyrics and it there does seem to be this push-pull you have with yourself. I don't want to actually assume anything with yourself. Maybe it's character, you know, sometimes. Like like you get a song like Darkness Forever and and it, there is darkness all throughout this record. I don't know where that comes from, um, but, but how much do you allow for yourself to be in that versus you might need to pull back and, and allow for the use of a character? I, I, don't, I don't really have any character use i mean a song like there's there's definitely songs like new demo or following eyes where it's not like some kind of narrative to my life at all it's just kind of a story basically but um i don't have any personally i don't have any problem with delving into the darkness a little bit when i'm feeling it you know i think that that it's a good outlet and I think it makes it fun. I don't, I don't know for me, like songs, like, like, it's funny. I, I remember talking to my, uh, like label and everybody when this album was, and I was like, it just feels so much less like dark and like heavy than the last one. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know. It just feels like fun at this point. Maybe it's just like being in a better place in my life than I was when I started writing it or, I mean, honestly, I just think it's like, it feels really fun and exciting. And I love like horror and stuff. And so it's just really like, it's fun to get to play music like that. So I love it. And um, I'm not like, like I couldn't ever do like, just like be like a metal artist, like someone like Sasami. Oh my God. We just got, we got to, she opened for us at this show and watching her set was so sick. Like I could never like scream like that or do anything like that. It wouldn't come out of my voice. It just wouldn't happen, but I'm very envious. I wish I could do like some really like heavy, like metal stuff. That would be really awesome. Her album (laughs) is also a favorite of mine this year. And I had her on this show not long ago and Mm -hmm. it was fun and probably the most bizarre interview I've ever had. (laughs) Yeah, she's, she's great. She's amazing. Yeah, I, I love her. Yeah, the two of you all together. That's a hell of a bill right there, too. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> you mentioned uh, you mentioned following guys. And that, that is an interesting one here, too. And and as you talk about uh, horror, like we talk about reference points, influences or whatever in music. But what are you are you using any for for like television and film? Do you find that you you direct yourself like like I saw what was the pitchfork when they they talk about your Buffy sticker on, uh, oh, on your trucker? Truck. Yeah, 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 but but does that come in where you're actually taking direct influence from TV and film? I mean, it's not direct, but there's so much. I mean, you know, I love it. I something like Buffy, I, I grew up watching, and and I I think definitely like when I was writing Following Eyes, I just wanted to write this 
spooky like ghost story because I basically what came first was the riff that I wrote for the beginning which is not in actually that much of the song by the time that it um got like you know chopped up and everything but um this riff was like super creepy and cool and I was like I just want to write like a ghost story like and it have absolutely nothing to do with me and it just be kind of like fun and creepy and um I mean I at the time like I wasn't thinking specifically I want to do something like this movie or this book but there's definitely visual elements that I was like I wanted to reference this like romantic horror writing like where it's just kind of got this like sense of like description of like the nature and stuff and like things that could be really beautiful but instead they're like creepy and eerie and like desolate um so I wanted to get that well so like I didn't want to just like write something really like gory Uh, I don't know I wanted it to be this kind of like eeriness that I think like horror type writing from the romantic period does really well with so there's definitely a little bit of like thought in that kind of direction of like the tone but there wasn't a specific you know like book or show or something that I was like wanting to channel exactly I just wanted to say more that's what I wanted to say that's all I wanted to say I think that might be why I I, I grabbed <laughs> onto it too because just coincidentally uh, I was having a conversation with my wife about how in the thriller genre or or supernatural or whatever there's not a lot of actual ghost stories right now I think when I was growing up, we had a, like a good amount of like ghost stories and, and it's usually mm-hmm. a different thing. There's a, you know, murder on vampires the loose or you know, vampires now. or something like that. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but, but it's not a lot of like actual ghosts. Um, although they are making a new live action series of Casper, which is supposed to be a bit more gothic. Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I'll watch. I will. Yeah. I mean, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that's what I liked about it because you're, you're hitting something I need in my life right now with mm-hmm. this. And what you were, uh, I mean, uh, not exactly that at all, but you were part of a soundtrack right before this too, right? I mean, I'm dropping the name of that. Uh, the Turning. The yes. Turning. Yeah. That was the first time I got to write like a creepy song. And I was very excited when they asked me, I was like, I, I will do it. Yes. I'll do it instantly. Um, and for that one specifically, they actually, it's funny that you said PJ Harvey, cause they actually specifically were like, you know, I had to write it for them and they were like, they, they were like, here's like PJ, PJ Harvey rid of me as a reference. So I was like, okay, I can, I think I can get into that lane. It's not exactly there because I didn't want to just like rip something off, but, um, that was definitely the vibe, you know, the kind of like grungy, broken down thing was like definitely what they wanted me to go for. Do you, do you like that? I mean, having a reference point like that given to you, is that helpful? Uh, I'm sure it's different. It's it wouldn't usually be, I guess. But for if somebody, you know, if somebody's asking you to write something for a movie, I think it's a little bit helpful because they ha- they obviously have a very specific thing in mind that they're wanting. And unless they give you some kind of like a couple albums that is like the tone that they're wanting uh it it would definitely be hard to just like guess as to what exactly they're they're hoping for well uh i quickly want to also um the lyrics just all over the place i could throw a dart at so many of these new demo i wrote down 
Uh, but what is a dream but a light in the darkness, a lie that you wish would come true? Uh, <laughs> probably that might be my favorite moment on the record right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember like what what was on your mind there? Um, when I when I sat down to write new demo, I wrote it pretty quickly and I was just trying to capture this like I mean, I wasn't obviously it has you could parallel it to the real world, but I was trying to more imagine this fictional world of like chaos and apocalypse <laughs> um and i i was trying to basically i guess with, with the chorus specifically like the idea is supposed to be kind of like is is it worth it to reach for hope in such a such a desolate world where everything is bad like hope can be uplifting but is it is it change it you know does it matter in the sense of this like this terrible situation where the the world is flooding or there's a a creature that lives in the city that eats people um <laughs> like just kind of yeah it was just kind of battling with that that idea of like hope and hopelessness basically yeah. it's quite uh, the opposite of like the disney lyric of uh, a dream is a wish your heart makes yeah that's uh, <laughs> the other side of that line right there other side of the coin yeah uh I'll, I'll wrap with this too uh the shotgun video was so fun to watch um oh, i was you. really convinced that was a bedroom until the camera pulls back until we backed out yeah, yeah. and it, it was like there was that um i was trying to think like natalie and brulia did that with torn that video mm -hmm. and everything right yeah. there uh, no, I bit. love that kind of stuff. It's like a, like, whoa. It strips away the mystery a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, that's why I didn't know if you guys were like, if, if that's what you were going for, but uh, it's really effective. Um, I mean, the director didn't mention it, but it definitely could have been something because it was kind of, it was largely an idea crafted by the director. It's fun to watch. Recommended for everyone listening right now. Check out the Thanks. shotgun video. Um, I'm so looking forward to see you on the tour. I, you might've already just come through Louisville. I might've missed that. Yeah, um, we did. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to travel. Um, I wasn't around, but, uh, yeah, this tour, this album is so good. Sophie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it and doing what you do. I, I, I always love hearing what you're putting out. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. The last time Sophie and I caught up was uh, back in 2020. We got to talk about her sophomore LP, the uh, critically acclaimed Color Theory. Uh, I'm going to include that one on here as we got to talk about the LP being sectioned into uh, three thematic colors, uh, blue for depression, yellow for mental, 
and uh, f- physical illness and, uh, and also grave for uh, mortality, all making up the stories of uh, recent hurdles that she had faced within herself, as well as the pain of watching family members uh, fight through tough times. So I'm going to include that one here as well. Part two of Kyle Meredith with Soccer Mommy. Hey, what's up? My compliments uh, are, are first because Color Theory is has ended up being my favorite record that I have heard this year. It's such <laughs> an amazing piece that you've done. Thank you. Uh, you're going to be up here in Forecastle uh, Festival in the summer, so I know we'll see you then. And, and I thought it was interesting because you've sort of shouted out a, a few Louisville ties. You're also on tour with Tomberlin, which is a Louisville artist. Mm-hmm. And Rap Boys just put out a record. And, oh, I forgot Rap Boys is from Louisville. Yeah, well, Julia is. She was actually my intern Julia, yeah. a few years ago. So that was uh, that was wow. cool. Yeah. And I was like, look at that. It's Louisville all around for Soccer Mommy right now. I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> But but getting into this, so so you know, as it's been told, the record it's really interesting. I mean, aside from it being just this great piece, it's also set up thematically where it's recorded. Uh, well, well, it's divided into thirds anyway, uh, with with the colors all representing something different. I, I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit, and if that was um, if that was thought out beforehand, or if that was something you sort of realized later as you were putting the record together. It came about as I was writing the album. Like when I first started writing some of the songs, I this was like no, I had not come up with any idea like this. But as I as I was getting into the songs, I feel like I started to realize that they weren't all like just similar. I guess mm-hmm. not that they you know always have to be, but they felt very tonally different. Like you know something like Lucy, or I guess that was the last one, so that's not really the one I was talking about. I guess something like Gray Light and Circle the Drain. <laughs> felt very tonally different and I, did, I had no clue how that was going to fit in together really and the more I like thought about it the more I kind of felt like there were these different moods and you know I started as I more songs were being written they were all kind of fitting into these different moods and it made me want to like kind of separate them up into these feelings and for me like whenever I you know especially in music and writing uh when I'm thinking about feelings and emotions and sounds that convey feelings i always like connect imagery with it and for me that often also has like kind of a you know a hue to it not necessarily super colorful or something but it just uh you know it feels a little bit more like summery or wintry or something and has like a little bit of a hue so that's kind of like where the color idea started to come in and match with it and i kind of realized that as i kept writing everything was kind of fitting into these color themes and I just ran with it. It's interesting. I, I know you know a couple different things comes to mind because you hear about those people, and I know there's a scientific word for it, where they can they, they say they see sound in colors and yeah, shapes. Yeah, synesthesia, I think. Yeah, I know that because I've been asked a lot if I have synesthesia, <laughs> which I do not. But but I, <laughs> I see where you have it. Yeah, coming from because for me, an album cover becomes more important than I ever realized. Like every single time, because once the artist associates a color with that. It's sort of also how I hear the sound. Like the, all, all of my favorite records, when I think about them, I think of the color that the album cover ends up being. Yeah, totally. No, I think that's something that's always mattered to me a lot, too, making an album cover, is getting the colors right. Like for Clean, I was like, I, I feel like it needs to have like yellow and kind of like red undertone and have this, you know, autumn-y, summery feel to it. So I feel like we were able to manage. But yeah, it was like some, you know, other times it's been totally different. Like Four Young Hearts, the first thing I put out was like a little darker and it was green, actually. Like it's just kind of like a more nighttime, like dark feeling to it. 
It's it's great the association that kind of comes along with that. Uh, so much of a, a deeper relationship, I think, with the music. Mm-hmm. You've also talked about how a lot of this, or, or a certain part of this anyway, record uh, was written on the road, which makes sense since you were on it for so long on the past record. And I think of the road, you know, as I know this business, as a very lonely place. And considering, you know, loneliness and sadness do play a part in a lot of these songs, was that one of the reasons? Was that part of Do you think that had that effect on it? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because I, I think that anywhere is lonely if you make it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, like on the road, like I was around like my five, four or five, just four people, like four good friends every second. I was literally never alone, <laughs> but I can, you know, you can make it, it can feel really lonely if you are, you know, hiding in yourself, but you know, at the same time, you can do that at home too. You can just never see anyone literally if you decide to. So I don't, I don't think the road is really a lonely place if you're with people that you know and are close to. Well, I'll, I'll bridge that into, I think one of the quotes and it was probably the pitchfork interview too, because, you know, so the, the single circle, the drain, has that water relationship. And you said water has been something that I've always connected with sadness and loneliness. And, and I'm kind of pulling around to that theme. But but if that's the case, what, what it, why is that? You know, there's something about if you sit and look at the water, it's so silent and vast and just, just seems like empty. Like you could just go out there and like be, never be found. <laughs> like it's just kind of, you know, there's just something about it that feels so um, deep and distant and separate especially at night right specifically like looking at the ocean at night or something it's just so you know you could somewhat like someone could be out there in the middle of the water and no one would see it or know or anything and it's you could just get lost out there alone i don't know like you couldn't really do that in like new york yeah. <laughs> you know you can do it in the city you can do it even in a field like it's not the same like mm-hmm depth then like it can pull you out like further you know it's like dangerous and the depths of it and the vastness is kind of terrifying i'm afraid of the ocean i'm just gonna go ahead and say that <laughs> you can't tell by all the words i'm using <laughs> i'm terrified of being in the ocean you know in the water and also the reason i'm mostly scared of it is we have no idea what's down there right right but that's a separate issue <laughs> a separate thing it also it just makes you feel very lonely and it also has like a sedating feeling to it i don't know at least for me like sure i just get very calm and quiet and yeah i don't know it's it's very it's lonely but it's also very like calm and sedate and i feel like that's kind of what sadness is like at least what i was trying in depression like at least what i was trying to depict in the first part of the record is it is lonely and it is sad but it's also like sedating and it's calm it's not it's not like anxiety you know, it's like kind of the opposite. It's like very low energy. And I feel like you could just like go out there and like die there and you just not even know you're dying. <laughs> you know, like I feel like it, it would be like a, like in cold water or something. I feel like, I don't know. It just seems very, it's very sedating and calming, and, but also lonely and sad. I do want to ask with that song. It might be complete coincidence, but is there any relationship to the uh, 90s song by Feeder, the song High, uh, the similarities there? I'd say it's complete coincidence because I, I could not tell you what that song sounded like. But, like, I mean, if it, yeah, especially if it's the intro. I feel like there's, <laughs> there's so much, like, 90s and early 2000s stuff that starts in that way. Yeah. 
So it's, you know, it's common. It's not, you know, I'm sure it is very similar. But I thought there was a chance because, you know, and I, I don't want to go down one of those roads that gets taken down a long time ago, but there does seem to be kind of a 90s pull uh, off of a, lo- a lot of this. Although I've heard you talk about the early 2000s production being kind of an inspiration too. Does that stuff come naturally or is that an era that you sort of seek out for any reason? Well, I think like the very late 90s and early 2000s, um, was like the first music I ever heard in my life and loved. So that's your sweet spot <laughs> uh, you know, right there. That was yeah. the kind of stuff that was on pop rock radio when I was like three. And I, that's when I fell in love with music. Like I started writing when I was five. So it was something that I, you know, I, I it's just always really connected with me because it just makes me feel like a, a kid again. And it makes me feel excited about music. And it reminds me of being young. So there definitely is like, I am definitely very drawn to that. And it's, a big connection there and I feel like it is an inspiration on a lot of the production of my music because I just can't help but like love how that sounds more than a lot of other stuff and I think it's that's when I kind of like you know got my voice I guess Mm -hmm. and I got it with that like sound in mind so I think it's something that I've always been drawn to and then you know even more like early like earlier 90s stuff I got into when I was in high school and fell in love with when I was like kind of a different person so I think that it's just always been something that I've been very attracted to and very in love with the sound of. Well, it's definitely something I relate to, especially when I hear it, one of those things that draws me in. And I like how you use some of the culture from that as well. Like I'll even, you know, the um, the tape at the end of Grey Lights sort of reminded mm-hmm. me of also when you did something similar with tape at the end of Cool from the last record. And uh, yeah. like, was that a callback at all? I mean, not as much as a callback as like I like doing <laughs> yeah. weird tape stuff. Um, in songs that I like warping things and I feel like I'm going to do that a lot <laughs> in the future. I try to always, you know, not do it the exact same way, but yeah, it's always something cool because at the, at the end of Graylight, it's, it's a, there's a tape machine click coming in, but the actual like weird sound at the end is not a tape warp. It is a factory okay. machine sounds like accelerating basically. Um, so, you know, it's like different kind of stuff, but it has that same effect of like warping and making something weirdly like mechanical rather than sonic, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, guess. I, I don't know. Like it's like a little bit less uh, analog, like because you're kind of tricked into music when you're listening to like a recording into feeling like it's a band playing or something. And I think sometimes it's cool to like kind of turn that on its head a little bit. I, I wanted to quickly compliment you, too, because outside of the record, you released the song Feed, which was on the Turning soundtrack, and I have such a love for soundtrack cuts and how they kind of do what we were talking about with colors and all of that stuff. Uh, was that part of the sessions, or was that like directed specifically toward the film? That was direct. I wrote that as, like, like for the film. Like, they asked me for a song, and I said, okay, I can make something, and I made that. That's a cool one. I, I really do love it, and kind of nice little extra bit there, anyway. Thank you. Um, uh, Sophie, I, I really do. Color Theory is, is like my favorite record right now. I, I can't thank you enough for doing the music here. And, and thanks so much for uh, taking a few minutes to talk about it. Thank you. All right. It's a pleasure. We'll see you around. Yes, yeah. And we'll round it out with part three. Uh, my first interview with Sophie was back in 2018. Uh, this was her debut LP after a few years of uh, stockpiling songs that she'd post on Bandcamp. Uh, and then, you know, just quickly making tons of fans. Uh, so on here, we get to talk about the set of songs on Clean and uh, relating to its uh, personal stories uh, to listeners, as well as getting open for Liz Fair at the time. Part three of Kyle Meredith with Soccer Mommy. 
you've got the new record clean. I mean, some of uh, I mean, I, I see everywhere that it's calling it your debut, uh, which is only a little confusing because there are two other releases before that. How how do you look at it all? I definitely think of it as my debut. Um, there are actually way more than that uh, on Bandcamp, but yeah, I did have kind of two more official type records but all of them so far have been like compilations almost i haven't like sat down and written a full-length album um like collection was mostly songs off Bandcamp that just kind of were put together and four young hearts was actually originally an ep that i ended up adding to so yeah it's all just at this point it's just kind of been like songs kind of thrown together into some like a release rather than a full written album but it must be nice having sort of that collection behind you really going into the first record I, I know a lot of artists I don't know if you ever had plans to do this but you know some artists who would have that kind of uh, that vault you can take those later on and, and update those and repurpose them you know for a, an official release or something are there, are there any of those songs that you could see yourself doing that in the future that you would want to um, I don't know. I feel like for now I want to try to just write new stuff, but if a song ever fit, I wouldn't have a problem with like redoing some of the old songs on my band camp because I was, I was already pretty choosy with songs that I like worked on and uploaded. So the stuff that's up is all stuff that I like. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not against it. I mean, it's, either way you cut it, though, three releases in three years is impressive. And I, I mean, do you constantly write? Is this a great work ethic or is it just the luck of having lots of songs, you know, lying around to compile, as you say? I constantly write, really. Like when I was in college, I would release like I there were times when I released like, you know, two EPs in the span of like a month just because I'm always writing stuff. But I think, you know, I it's definitely draining to write that much. And it definitely, I think if I take longer, I can be even more choosy about which songs make it onto an album. But, I mean, you never really know how, how long it's going to take you to find 10 or 12 songs that you love. Especially, you know, you're, you're sort of known for that diary-esque writing. You know, I, I see that in all the reviews. They'll use that word and everything to mine to mine your life so much as you're saying to write like that constantly does it ever become a challenge to figure out like oh i've got to figure out how to i've already written it like that you know it's got to be a different direction this time i don't think so so far it seems like every time i've finished something i've had a direction naturally come to me for the next one like i think it just kind of follows my life pretty well so even if i'm writing you know even if i keep writing about love songs or about like the same kind of stuff that I'm known for. It's just like, I don't know if it's a good song, it's a good song. I'm less worried about having a new take or a new direction and more just like writing good songs. Well, if it's about your life as you go along, does this record carry uh, a story? Is there a a thread that kind of ties it all together? I think it's just about like feeling like you want to be something better than yourself um, and trying to make that reality and kind of realizing that you're not, that by making yourself, you know, less emotional or less vulnerable, it's not actually bettering yourself and it's not actually changing who you are. Um, And you can't really run from yourself in the end. Now, does that line of thinking go into any, like, when you, instead of going under your name, you know, as an artist, Sophie Allison, uh, to choosing sort of a moniker instead? No, not, I mean, I guess maybe for some people it could, but for me, when I chose a moniker, it was kind of a joke, because I was just making stuff on Bandcamp for absolutely no one. (laughs) And it was more of like a joke on my Twitter. So, um, yeah, I didn't really put any thought into it, actually. It just kind of was something that stuck. But it allows you, I mean, it allows you to be lost in a character if you need to, doesn't it? 
Definitely. Yeah. I think it allows you also to just separate yourself from people listening a little bit and just, you know, say whatever you want to say. Because I know, yes, I mean, singing in such a personal way as, as you do, it does sort of invite a kind of knowing from fans. At least they think that they know you, yeah. you know, good or bad or weird anyway. I don't, have you have you had to experience any of that yet? Oh, definitely. For sure. Just like it can be very strange to have people think that they know you when they don't actually know you at all. And to think and these are the early days that could only <laughs> want to scare yeah. you away. <laughs> I know. Definitely. I, I've thought that many times. When you're writing, do you ever, because of that, has it made you sort of hold back and like, you know what? I can't put that line in there. No, because I know it'll happen. No, it never has, actually, because I've always just felt very much like, well, my stuff is, like, direct. It's also not so direct that, like, someone's going to text me and be like, this is about me. You know, I just, I think that it's always, I throw pieces of experiences with different people into stuff. So it's not like I have to worry about it, a song directly, like, screaming one person's name or something. There's um, some musical great moments uh, all over the record, too. I, I sort of latch on to the end of the song, Cool, when it feels like everything just goes wrong. What, what was that? What, how did you guys do that? What did you do that? Um, it was just like a, like a time warp at the end of the track. Just kind of, we like had everything recorded and just put a warp on it, kind of threw it off, killed her. <laughs> I mean, it's almost a musical metaphor right there. That's, that's what I kept thinking. Yeah. I know we're we're all still getting familiar with you though. You know the the backstory part of the interview. Where, where where does this all come from? When did you start writing songs that you would actually play out? I, I know I read something like you wrote a song at five, but when did it really <laughs> turn serious for you? I don't know. I think that when it really turned to be like something that was seriously helping me like feel my uh, or like express my emotions and something that people were taking an interest to was probably right before I went to college. Yeah. What what uh, what pushed you at that point? To, to do it. I don't know. I just wanted to learn more about recording and stuff like that. And I just started recording my own stuff and putting it out. Was playing it in front of people much of a leap for you? I don't, I don't think it... No, I had been playing music in front of people for my whole life. So it wasn't that weird at all. Was there a first... Um, what, what would I say? Is there a first, uh, like, holy shit moment? Like, this is actually working? Maybe. I mean, maybe when I got, like, a record deal. Like, when I got approached by a label... For the first time, I think that was kind of like, oh, shit, like this could be something that actually gets spread to people. And then like, yeah, I don't know, like recording the second, the this album was definitely like very exciting and felt like a serious jump. There was um, a tweet you put out there that uh, my mom is playing my entire album over the speakers in our house. Have they have they always been supportive uh, of you in this? Yes. Yes, they always have. Ever since I was a little kid. Now, and again, I'll go back to your style of songwriting. Has there ever been any of those weird, awkward, or cringeworthy moments where you're like, eh, do I want them to hear this? Which, you know, we, I'm not going to talk about it with my parents. I don't really have to stress about it. I know, I know they'll be hearing anything I say, but I'm also just kind of like, they're not going to approach me about anything. <laughs> they think something's weird. So it's fine. There's, I, I don't want to make this more of a thing than it is, but it does seem like there is an underground movement happening. You know, there, there are artists that are doing similar thing with you, that, you know, a similar type of writing. A lot of them happen to be women artists. I don't, do you feel part mm -hmm. of a scene right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I don't know if I feel like part of a scene, but I definitely feel like I have like friends who are doing similar stuff and who support me and who I support. But I don't know if it's like, it's not a, as big of a thing to be a scene. I think there is like, like an underground music scene, obviously, but I don't know if the, if I, if I feel like super 
part of a community or something. It's usually one of the things that people get grouped into long after it's over anyway, but yeah, it, it just seems like, yeah, something's, something's in the air and something's happening. I mean, I feel like it's an important time in music because I feel like we're in a transitional mm-hmm. period and artists like you are leading the way, you know, in, in this, it's what mm-hmm. making, makes it really exciting. And by the way, um, you know, your, your forebears artistically, you're going to be opening up for Liz Fair, right? Yes. I am. I mean, Pretty astounding. Yeah. Holy cow, Liz Fair. Did yeah. that, did, is that something like you were pushing for? Was that a surprise? Did you get a call one day? It was a total surprise. How does it that call happen? Surprise. I didn't even know. I didn't know she was doing a tour. I didn't know she was that I was submitted to open for it. I don't think that my agent even like reached out for it because I didn't. I mean, I don't think any of us really knew there was a tour happening. Um, I just got a text from my manager saying, "Check your email. I'm sending over a really amazing offer," and it was like the their agent inquiring about us opening on the tour. Have you been able to talk to her yet? Is that is that happened? No. I mean, I you know. She like tweeted at me, but uh, I haven't like gotten to speak to her at all. I'm sure I will on the tour, though. Well, um, I'm very envious and and <laughs> sort of doing a vicarious thing through you on this part. Yeah, uh, such a big fan uh, of all of her music. I, I can understand how exciting that would be. Uh, I'll be looking to catch one of those shows. Yeah. So hopefully, see you out there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you again. Love clean. Congratulations and and thanks for uh, giving the call today. Yeah. Thanks. Great talking to you. And my thanks to Soccer Mommy, the new album is called Sometimes Forever. And thanks to you as well for, again, uh, checking the episode out. Please do hit that subscribe button before you get out of here. That way you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every week, a new and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, at Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Then after that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the uh, social media spots, mostly on Twitter, also occasionally Facebook and Instagram, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Bye, y'all. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Hey there, it's Kyle Meredith from Kyle Meredith With. After you check out the latest episode of my show, uh, be sure to check out some of our other great programs on the Consequence Podcast Network, including Standing BTS, a bi-weekly podcast covering all things BTS and ARMY, and The Opus, Consequence's original documentary podcast exploring legendary albums and their lasting legacies. So head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.